When God calls you to preach, He'll always provide some place for you to preach, whether it's on the street or in some kind of uh, building. But we uh, we went we went through those two years. It was a rough two years for a lot of people, and so we are glad to be back. We just finished uh, meetings in Brazil. And we're going to be going for the month of December to England for that entire month. And then January is Israel. And then we begin at the end of January in our South Pacific tour, which is uh, weeks, several weeks in Hawaii. And don't look at me like that. Somebody's got to preach to those people. It might as well be me. So we preach in the Hawaiian Islands and from there to Micronesia, the island of Ponape, and then to the island of Guam our U.S. territory out there in the South Pacific, and then on to the Philippines, and then on to Japan, and then on to Cambodia. These are the things that are scheduled for this next spring. And so we're glad, we're glad, we're glad to be back in the saddle as far as our foreign ministry. And that's why uh, we do have about 12 churches, I believe. You're one of the 12 that supports this foreign ministry we have because these people don't give love offerings as you generous people do. And we have to pay our own way there. And a lot of times we have to pay for our own hotel or some other uh, field expense that uh, that is generated by that kind of a ministry. And we're able to wonderfully and freely supply this ministry to a lot of churches overseas that could never afford to bring an American evangelist over. And so you guys are helping us and supporting us so that we can do that. So it's good to see uh, Pastor John Richardson again. He, he He's Chief Noonie, all right? So yeah, yeah that, that's his new Indian name, Chief Noonie. And so <laughs> I don't know where I come up with these things. But anyway... <laughs> but he's my brother, and he's my friend, and, and we've just had a great time together. This is our sixth, sixth time to have an extended meeting with you, although we also had three Sundays along the way, and I don't remember the circumstances of why we were just here for a Sunday, but, but we were, and so six weeks of meetings and then three Sundays, and some of you have been with us that whole time, some of you have come in along the way, and some of you were meeting for the first time, isn't that right? This dear couple up here from Tennessee, and that's uh, that was our old stomping grounds. I went to college in Tennessee. My first pastorate was in Tennessee. We got married in Tennessee, and uh, we love Tennessee. And so, appreciate these new folks. Anybody else I'm meeting for the first time? First time. All right, so Natalie and her mom, all right? Uh, can we call you mom or not? All right, all right okay. <laughs> I'm probably older than you are, but anyway. No, you know. I'm 82. What are you? No, I'm not 82. <laughs> I am pushing. I'm pushing. I'm pushing 67. Now, is that okay? <laughs> All right. Good for you. Good for you. All right. We are going to uh, have a wonderful, really, two weeks together. This is back-to-back -back with Wagon Wheel Baptist Church Pastor Jim Smith. And I appreciate the times we've had meetings here, and Brother Smith has brought his people over, and they've sung for us. And, and so it was a, I trusted the Holy Ghost to have these two weeks back to back, and supposedly they're all coming this week, and we're all going there next week. Is that right? <laughs> oh, anyway, uh, I really got quiet in here, and I said, we're all going to Wagon Wheel next week, but... That's the idea is that we would have a joint meeting. Uh, it's, it's, I really appreciate both of these churches because Pastor John has always been uh, a lover of the evangelist and the ministry that the evangelist brings to a local church. And, he, and we go through Friday 
almost every other church now is Sunday through Wednesday. When I first went into evangelism in 1984, that's a long time ago, we used to have two-week meetings in one church, <laughs> two weeks in one church, and, and preach the whole first week to the saints, and then the second week go after the lost, and we used to see a lot, a lot of fruit. And then it went down from two-week meetings to Sunday through Friday meetings, and all my meetings when I was an evangelist the first time from 84 to 96, all our meetings were Sunday through Friday and then we'd have Saturday for our travel day to get to the next place. Well, then I had nine years pastoring in Washington State and went back into evangelism for those nine years, and it seemed like everything changed in nine years. Before, the emphasis was get the lost out to these revival meetings. I mean, it wasn't having to beg your own people to come to the meetings. They're all coming. It's get Lost neighbors and friends and workers and family. And we see a lot of people saved. Well, then I took that nine years and I came back to the evangelism again. And everybody was Sunday through Wednesdays. And the pastor gets up there Sunday morning and he begs his own people to come to those meetings. I said, what happened? What happened? Why would a pastor have to stand here and beg his own flock to come to revival meetings. That's unheard of in history. Now, are we going to have to do that this week? A lot of quietness. It's sad, the level of commitment among God's own people, that a pastor would have to beg and plead for his own people to come to the meetings, lest he be embarrassed at the low numbers. And that's the days we're living. I pray Lone Mountain will be different. I pray that we'd have our own people coming out I pray that we'd be inviting unsaved people to come into these meetings. So we have two purposes for this week. S and R's. S, salvation and sanctification. Salvation for the lost, sanctification for the believers. Two R's. We want regeneration and we want restoration. These meetings are absolutely used of God for those two purposes. This is God's design. It is His plan. Ephesians 4.11, And God gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the work of the ministry, for the perfecting of the saints. And so this is God's design, what we're doing here this week. And I'm glad you have a pastor who understands that. Do you realize how many independent fundamental Baptist churches don't even use evangelists anymore. I'm talking about a God-called, God-anointed evangelist that comes into your church for a protracted meeting, and these meetings are wonderful. We get a lot of music, we get a lot of fellowship, a lot of preaching. God uses that. So let's avail, avail ourselves over what God has provided in the local church. The local church is God's plan. The pastor is God's plan. The evangelist is God's plan. What we're doing this week is God's plan. Now, let me explain what we're doing this week and next week. I'm doing a continuation. I'm preaching all this week and then pick up right there next week. This week, I want to deal with messages. I trust life-changing, powerful messages on the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Next week, my emphasis will be on the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. First coming this week. I mean, obviously, you're, you're the first meeting of the two weeks, all right? I could do the second coming this week as well. Let's back up and go to the first coming. Well, chronologically speaking, you guys are in line for the first part, which is 
many messages this week, Sunday through Friday, on the first coming of Christ and the various facets of the ministry of our Lord. Uh, the Lord Jesus is like a fine-cut diamond. And as the light hits that diamond, you see all these different cuts and facets uh, brilliantly come from that, from that diamond. That, and so that's what we want to look at this week. Uh, some would call it Christology or Christology if you're a systematic theology kind of guy. And so we appreciate this opportunity. Uh, I've always made a, uh, a vow to the Lord. Whenever I go to a church for the first time, I always preach on the life and ministry of Christ. Now, Wagon Wheel is our first time to a protracted meeting there, so I've got to preach on Christ. And so God has always blessed that. And I have many, many, many different themes, revival themes for the churches and five other protracted meetings we've had here. We've had different themes over the years. But I'm telling you, and I mean it, and God is my witness, my very favorite, favorite preaching is on the life and ministry of Christ. And you know, you can never go wrong there. <laughs> you can't say that I preach the right thing <laughs> because Christ is the right thing. He is the central figure of everything. He is the common denominator of all of us this week. We're here right now because of him. He has brought us to salvation. He has blessed us with his person, all the spiritual blessings that we have in him. And so you can never go wrong. But I'm going to preach some things this week. Something may be familiar, but I'm going to give you a lot of things that I'm not sure are as familiar to you, so we can always learn something, and even go into a passage that may be well known. There are a lot of things there that we can learn, new, new information. Now, there's nothing new under the sun, and I don't intend to preach something that nobody's ever heard before, but I'm telling you, this week can be life-changing, and next week can certainly be life-changing, and I'm excited about it. We've looked forward to these two weeks for a long time since they were scheduled, you know what? I've been bragging on you all over the country. I have. Every meeting I've had, I said, let me tell you what's going on in November. We're going to have two weeks back to back, two Sunday through Friday. It's almost unheard of today. And we're going to support each other's meeting. We're going to just see what God will do in those two weeks. So we got people praying all over the place for these two weeks. And I'm excited about it. You call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. We're going to see great and mighty things which right now we don't know about. And when we finish this week and next week, we will know about it. So let me begin as let me begin some Sunday school teaching, because uh, Brother uh, Tucci's been glad glad to give up his class for me today. I don't know how glad you are, but you're you're willing you're willing to do that. And again, Brother Custer gave us a launch pad here just earlier. Appreciate his words. And uh, here we have this tremendous doctrine of Christ. So when did Christ begin? As the Lord Jesus had a beginning. You'd be amazed how many people believe the Lord Jesus had a beginning in a manger in Bethlehem. <laughs> no, the Lord Jesus is what we call preexistent. And it's interesting, in the scriptures we have these glimpses of Christ in his preexistent condition. And what we mean by preexistent, the Lord Jesus, of course, was one with his Father from eternity past. And long before God ever created the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is therein. You know, it boggles our finite minds. What was God doing from the eons of eternity before he created the heavens and the earth? 
and put man on this earth, which is a relatively low amount of time, 6,000 years. All of human history from Adam and Eve, about 6,000 years when you do all the chronologies and the genealogies together. And we think about, well, what was he doing from eternity past? And God's so self-existent. And, and, but Jesus Christ is pre-existent. Let me give you just... Now, a lot of scriptures I'll memor, I've memorized and I'll quote for you, and then other ones I want you to look up. That'll be true through the whole week. Obviously, for sake of time, uh, I like to cover a lot of ground. I've always wrestled with a clock, and I'm glad you don't have a clock except that 254 up on the wall. Does that mean I get 254 minutes for, for each message? <laughs> but I've always fought the clock, and I've been a full-time preacher for 42 years. And so after 42 years, you, you, got a, you got a lot to say. So I've always battled the clock, and I want, I want to do my best to not hold you too long, because I do want you to come back the next night. But uh, all clocks are possessed of the devil. Did you know that? Isn't that something that mysteriously went back an hour last night? Anyway, <laughs> the preexistent Christ, Proverbs 30, verse 4, Who hath ascended into heaven? And who hath descended? What is his name? And what is his son's name, if thou canst tell? See, there's a lot of people believe that the sonship of Jesus Christ began in the manger, that there was this one God, not a triune God, but one, and, and then and for the purpose of redemption, he, uh, he, he has an incarnation there. But no, here we find a thousand years before Christ ever came, the uh, Solomon, or the writer of that proverb, said, what is his son's name, if thou canst tell? You know, the Islamic world and others say, God had no son. <laughs> I beg to differ. You take the sonship of Christ out of the Bible, you got to cut a lot out. What is his name? What is his son's name, if thou canst tell? In John 8, 58, the Lord Jesus said, Before Abraham was, I am. He didn't say before Abraham was, I was. He said, I am. He's the great I am of the burning bush in Exodus 3. But before Abraham was, I am. Always self-existent from eternity past. Another glimpse is in Luke 10, 18, where the Lord Jesus said this, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. See, the Lord Jesus was there in heaven when Lucifer had his insurrection, his heavenly coup d'etat, and rebelled against the authority of God, taking a third part of the angels with him, Revelation 12. He said, I was there. Christ that I saw it happen as Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14 share with us concerning the creation of the anointed cherub that covered the creation of Lucifer, that highest and most beautiful angel created beautifully and musically and purposefully and purpose perfectly until iniquity was found in him. And then in Isaiah 14, the, the infamous five I wills of Lucifer, the Last one is the one that gets us in trouble the most. I will be like the Most High. The devil's always wanted to be God. He's always wanted people to follow him rather than God. And it works even in the lives of believers. Amazing how many believers follow Satan rather than God and don't even realize it. Anytime God commands you to do something, 
The devil's going to come along and say, no, you don't have to do that. I got an easier way for you. And many believers listen to that. And so the I wills, I will be like the Most High. The devil counterfeits and duplicates everything of God. There are counterfeit preachers, counterfeit churches, counterfeit Christians, counterfeit Holy Spirits, counterfeit Christ. There are counterfeit trinities. There are counterfeit Bibles. There are counterfeit Christian music. Oh, it's amazing how... American Christianity is so duped, so deceived to go after the counterfeits. And then, of course, God throws Lucifer out of heaven. And Jesus said, I was there. I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. So Christ is the preexistent one. Christ was prophesied for hundreds and even a couple thousand years before he came, the prophecies were there all the way back in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3.15, where God speaks to the serpent who beguiled Eve, who succumbed to his temptation, gave to Adam. He did eat, plummeting the whole human race into depravity and corruption and sin. And he says to the devil, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed, it, her seed, will crush you. And you will crush his heel. The seed of the woman will crush the head of a serpent. And of course, you're never going to kill a serpent. You've got to crush him in the head. If you just crush a tail of a serpent, he's going to go on living. But here we find the first prophecy of a coming Savior, the first prophecy of a virgin birth, the seed of the woman. Women don't have seed, men have seed. So that's a prophecy of the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus. And this virgin-born, sinless Son of God will conquer and defeat Satan. First John, Jesus Christ was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. The devil is a defeated foe. The devil's first name is Lou. The devil's last name is Zer. Loser! <laughs> Revelation 20.10, the devil's going to the lake of fire forever. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible, Revelation 20.10, makes me want to do a jig up here, man. The devil's going to the lake of fire. No more devil. <laughs> so that great prophecy. In Deuteronomy 18. 15, we have this prophecy. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee, speaking to the nation of Israel. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet, capital P, prophet, from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, Moses said. Moses, a great leader, the authority over the nation of Israel at that time. Like unto me, unto him shall ye Hearken, remember the leadership gifts given to the local church. And he, and he gave some apostles. Jesus Christ is the apostle. Apostle means a sent one. First John 20, 21. Do you ever do that, brother? John 20, 21. As my Father has sent me, even so send I you. The Lord Jesus is the sent one, the apostle. And he gave some prophets the Lord Jesus is the, capital P, prophet. <laughs> Moses predicted it. 
Jesus Christ is the evangelist. He said in, in, in John 4, 4, 4.43, I, I, must, I must preach in other cities also. The kingdom of God from the Father sent me to do so. He's the evangelist and he's the pastor, isn't he? He is the shepherd of our souls. He's the chief shepherd. He is the good shepherd who gave his life for the sheep. And so he is all of these things. And he is the prophet. You remember when the religious leaders came to John the Baptist and said, Are you the Christ? Are you that prophet? <laughs> Referring to Moses' prophecy. Well, then we have Isaiah 7, 14. You, you know these great verses. Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel. This is quoted by Matthew, Matthew 1, 23. The interpretation of Emmanuel is God with us. In Isaiah 9, 6, again, familiar verses, but again, the prophecies of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus, for unto us a child is born. That's his humanity. A child is born. Unto us a son is given, is his deity. So you have the God-man. You have the hyperstatic union, as theologians call it. 100% God, 100% man. And it says here that the government shall be upon his shoulder. Government rankings are always on the shoulder. The emperors of Rome all had their emperor emblems on their so on their shoulders even today the ranking system in the military you your rank is on your shoulder our, our son is a first lieutenant in the army and he's got his silver bars there on his shoulders and uh, hopefully soon to be promoted to captain we'll have a double silver bar on his shoulder but his the government shall be upon his shoulder and he'll be in charge of all of the world's government, and his name should be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, and of his increase, of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Now we're getting into next week, the second coming of Jesus Christ. The Lord's going to come. He's going to establish his kingdom on the earth, which he offered legitimately to the nation of Israel until Matthew chapter 12, when he was rejected by the religious leaders, but he was offering the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is the great heavenly kingdom come down to the earth. It will be realized in the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation 20, verses 4 and 6, Christ will reign for a thousand years, and that will be the government He'll be seated on the throne of David, 2 Samuel 7, in that covenant, that Davidic covenant. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of that Davidic covenant. The last king of Judah was Zedekiah, uh, removed in 586 B.C. And there's been no king in Israel since 586 B.C. We went from kings to governors, and then to dis diaspora, dispersion, and then coming back into the land and became a nation again in 1948 with a prime minister. And so we, uh, we see that Christ, of course, will fulfill the whole Davidic covenant. He is the one who will sit on the throne. And then the Bible says that, that uh, he was prophesied in Isaiah 53, amazing, amazing 
a scripture in Isaiah 53, so feared by the Jews and the rabbis that they won't even read that. In synagogue, is every Shabbat, they read from the Torah or the Tanakh. Torah is the first five books of the Bible. The Tanakh is everything beyond the Torah. And so they have the Shabbat readings every Saturday in synagogue. And they'll read Isaiah 52, and they'll skip right over 53 and go to 54. Now, if I was a Jew sitting in that synagogue and saw the rabbi skip that chapter, I'm just curious enough, why is he skipping that chapter? I'm going to be more intense of reading that and find out what is in there that he skips it. Well, he skips it because it is such a prophecy of a detailed account of who Christ is and what he accomplished when he came in on the earth and the details of a crucifixion and a resurrection and the results of that. And so wonderful prophecies there in Isaiah 53, Psalm 16, Psalm 22. Again, amazing prophecies of this coming Messiah, Mashiach, Adonai, Adonai Yeshua, Hamashiach, the Lord Jesus Christ, is prophesied. And he came in what we call the incarnation. That's what's coming up in December. And you remember, of course, December 25th is not, forgive me, the birthday of Jesus Christ. Number one, Jesus is preexistent. He never had a birthday. And number two, it certainly isn't December 25th. That was chosen by the Emperor Constantine to gather a lot of pagans into the church because he took an established pagan holiday with the winter solstice, which is December 25th, and said, let's make that a Christian holiday and invite all of these idolatrous pagan people in the Roman Empire to come. They're already having a celebration that day for winter solstice. And so probably was born on one of the feast days in the fall, or the spring, and there's no way it was a December. Now, I have no problem still doing that on December 25th because we know what we're doing. We know it's Romans 14. This one esteems one day above another. This one esteems another day above another, and yet God receives them both. Let every man be persuaded in his own mind. We have whole denominations that refuse to do anything with Christmas. You've got a lot of Christians, so it's all pagan origin, and a lot of it is. <laughs> But that's not what we're doing. We're, uh, Christmas tree points up to heaven, the lights, Jesus, the light of the world, and, and a lot of things there we celebrate. But it, 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 it's not his birthday, all right? It's, it's a time of the year that we set aside, and it's a time of the year when the world, I always say the world goes gaga over the goo-goo. <laughs> Uh, look at the little baby in the manger. Oh, isn't he cute? He looks so harmless. Oh, this world is duped. Look at the little heart. You get the, get the birthday, you, know, you get the Christmas cards. May the Christ child of the manger bless you this year. Isn't he? Look at the little goo goo in there. Uh, surely that's not one that's going to judge me someday. That's the one I got to be accountable to. That's the one that wants to save my soul. But there is a window. This is what I like about December 20th. There's a window where the whole world gives some semblance to that. You go to an elevator and you're hearing, Oh, holy night. <laughs> Even the world sings those songs. And the world, for a little short window of time, becomes a little more sensitive to the things of Christ. And I say, let's capitalize on that. <laughs> That's the time to be handing out a lot of tracts and a lot of witnessing because those people are already thinking that. And so the incarnation, 
The fact that God leaves heaven and comes to the earth are remarkable. You talk about visitors from outer space. That's the ultimate. All the other UFO stuff, satanic, by the way. Area 51, all of that is satanic. People who see flying saucers, I'm not saying they're, they're not seeing something, but I'm telling you, it's satanic revelations from the, from the devil to get people's mind off of God and a creator and saying, well, there's existence in the alien world and it was aliens who came here and started our human race here and blah, blah, blah. They don't fall for it. It's all satanic revelations. Well, anyway, the incarnation. Jesus Christ, God incarnate. The incarnation, which means God is wrapped now in a human body. And he said, a body hast thou prepared me. Hebrews 10, 5. Christ left heaven so you can go to heaven. Christ died so that you can live. What a great exchange. And so the Lord Jesus leaves heaven. John 1, 14. And the word was made flesh. Jesus Christ, it was the Word, the Logos. He was made flesh and dwelt among us. And, and, and we beheld His glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father. Wow. I sometimes we just don't get the depth of that. This is truth. That God who created all things, the self-existent, Holy God of heaven, the one true living God, leaves heaven and comes to the earth that he created, walks on this planet he created, goes to the cross and allows his own creation, man, to nail him there. Wonder of wonders. He pours out his life's blood and dies and resurrects that we might have life, the incarnation, Galatians 4, 4. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son. Born of a woman. Born under the law. To redeem those that were under the law. And for us, we receive the adoption of sons. Amazing. God's timetable in the fullness of time. God had a prescribed time. He's outside of time. But he had a prescribed time when Christ would come the first time, and he has a prescribed time in which he's coming the second time. Just as sure as God had a timetable in bringing Messiah to the earth the first time, just as surely he has a timetable when Christ will come again and rapture us out and then come and set up his kingdom. Philippians 2, 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who who in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of man, became a servant. And the Lord Jesus was incarnated into the form of man. Sinless. 2 Corinthians 5.21, he knew no sin. 1 John 3, uh, 5, he had no sin. And so the sinless Son of God, the only one qualified to be our Savior, no one else was qualified because no one else is sinless except God. So God comes, Christ, the sinless sacrifice for our sin, inaugurated by John the Baptist. Great teachings on John the Baptist from Isaiah 40. 
In Matthew 3, as the Lord Jesus now comes out of his obscurity for 30 years, he had an obscurity except for one time when 12 years old, when he went to the temple in Jerusalem. The Word of God talks about that. I must be about my father's business. (laughs) He knew fully who he was then, and he was the son of a carpenter, the adopted son of Joseph the carpenter. And so the Lord Jesus spent a lot of years in Nazareth building furniture. A carpenter back in the first century was also a mason, not a 33rd degree mason, but a, a mason who, did, who does cement work and, and lays pavement. Well, uh, they did a lot of cement walls. And so the Lord Jesus, a carpenter from Nazareth, We visit Nazareth, of course, on our Israel tours, which Pastor John and Bob Wynn are coming again with me. And so in January 9th through 21, but to the Lord Jesus built furniture. Wouldn't it be something today to have a a table that Jesus built? I wonder what that would auction for today. How about a Jesus chair? (laughs) Oh, my word. And so now he comes out of obscurity at age 30, Why did he start at age 30? Why didn't he start at age 20 or 25? Because he would not have been listened to. In the Jewish mind, 30 is the age. That's when you become a Levitical priest. And that's when you become a teacher of the law. You have to be at least 30 years old. The Lord Jesus does surrender to that Jewish culture. And even the Old Testament, when a Levitical priest had to be 30 years old, from age 20 to 30 was time of training. And then at 30, they took over those Levitical priestly duties. And so the Lord Jesus waits until he's 30 and now is inaugurated by John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, the one who cried out in John 129, uh, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. That was a profound statement because up to that point, sin was not taken away. It was only covered under the Old Testament in what we call atonement. The Feast of Yom Kippur, the high priest goes in beyond the veil, sprinkles blood, and Israel's sins are covered for another year. But here's John the Baptist and inaugurating the Lord Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God, he fulfills the Passover, who takes away, doesn't just cover, takes away the sins of the world. You mean Israel said, you mean it's not, it's not just us? Why didn't he say takes away the sins of Israel? Because Christ is not only Mashiach for Israel, he is the Savior of the world. The Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world, 1 John. And so he's inaugurated, Matthew 3, 16 and 17. You have the Spirit of God coming down like a dove, (laughs) lighting on him, and the voice of the Father, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well Please, And so the Lord is inaugurated, and now he begins his earthly ministry, of which we will preach this week. So, Father, we bow our heads and give thanks for our Savior, truly God and truly man. Because he was man, your word tells us that he suffered being tempted and is able to succor, he's able to understand even those of us who are sinners, who are plagued with the things of temptation. We're glad that you remember that we are but dust. You remember that 
we are just clay, and, and yet, Lord, you give us such provision of salvation and sanctification and victory over sin in our lives. We pray, Lord, for this wonderful, wonderful week as we lift up the Lord Jesus, who said in John 12, 32, If I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. We know the cross was lifted up with Christ on it. But we also want to exalt him because that's a ministry of the Holy Spirit, according to John 16, that the Spirit of God is not going to speak of Himself. He's going to speak of Christ. And any one of us who are filled with the Holy Spirit are going to speak of Christ and magnify Him, which we intend to do this week. And we know you're pleased with that. So we pray, Father, that all the spiritual fruit that results from the preaching of Christ this week and next week would redound to your glory. So, Lord, bless this group. Prepare our hearts for the next hour in Christ's name. Amen and amen. Thank you for coming. Thank you for listening.